ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. If you have children of school age, how many evenings a week do you not have an extracurricular activity scheduled in? Footy, athletics, basketball and or dance, drama, music, scouts, debating. A lot of kids do at least one of these things outside school. And it's great if you have all those choices, but it can be a double-edged sword for your finances and for the family's well-being. How much time should we be leaving for young people to have downtime? And as a lot of us are taking a break for school holidays at the moment, this might be a really good time to take stock of children's commitments. Dr Lexi Frydenberg is an experienced paediatrician and a mother of three teens, and the issue of extracurricular activities comes up a lot when she speaks with parents, most weeks in fact. Dr Frydenberg, welcome to Life Matters. Oh, thanks, Hilary. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. Lexi, let, Lexi let's um, look at the positives first. What are some of the benefits that children get from taking part in extracurricular activities? Absolutely. I think framing and starting with the positives is a great idea. Um, extracurricular activities, as you said, encompasses a whole range of activities. So a child might learn and build on a skill. It gives children the option of trying a whole range of activities and seeing what they enjoy. I, um, some activities really help build their confidence and I love it when I see a kid shine in an area they haven't had an opportunity to shine at before. Um, also, it helps with social skills. So often children can meet other kids with similar interests um, outside of their school setting. And as you know, as you well know, many children are on devices a lot. So particularly with physical activities and sports, it gives our kids the opportunity to start moving. And there are mental health benefits of that as well. So there are a huge range of positives and benefits, um, but we'll, you know, we can talk more about those as well. Well, yes, I wonder if we can uh, compare the, the, the movement-based activities with the more perhaps creative or artistic activities. Can we say definitively one or the other set is better than the other? Uh, I don't think we can say definitively and I think it, it differs for each child. It differs depending on their interests and temperament and also on the age of the child. So we know that our children um, in Australia are generally quite sedentary now and in the old days, in inverted commas, kids ran around at the park for hours and do that much less now. So sometimes structured sporting activities is the time they move the most. And there's a lot to be gained from sports, particularly team sports. They learn about teamwork. They learn about compromise. They learn about winning and losing, which I think is quite important. On the other hand, you've got those art-based activities, sorry, that you mentioned, the musical instruments, the dance, and that often stimulates a different part of a child's brain. And, you know, once they um, follow these creative pursuits, you often see the children, you know, come alive and I've got many, many patients who once, you know, they're really shy at school or learning's hard. Once they do an art-based activity or get on stage, they, their whole personality changes and you see that spark within. So I think you've just got to weigh it up for your child and often explore a range of activities before settling on one or two. Yeah, it can be a wonderful thing, kind of discovering that you're good at something, that people might praise you. Absolutely. And we know that a lot of children find school hard. So schoolwork can be hard, learning's hard, even socialising in a school setting can be hard for many kids. So you know, seeing a child shine and excel and build their confidence outside of their school life can be amazing. I had a child, a teenager this week who has social anxiety 
at school and she often spends lunchtime inside. But she recently joined the cadets and she absolutely loves it. And her leadership skills have evolved. Her confidence has, you know, skyrocketed. And it's just so nice to see her shine now. Mm. Linda on Facebook, when we asked, you know, how much uh, extracurricular stuff should kids be doing, Linda says at least one activity if another parent takes them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, what, what is the, uh, the impact on, on oh. parents, Lexi? Oh, look, as you know, it's a huge juggle being a parent. And I think, you know, it can be a benefit having some downtime if your child's in a structured activity for an hour, you might get to go for a walk or answer those emails. Um, so there can be benefits, but also, you know, it's a huge juggle and it's a balancing act. And we know during COVID, particularly here in Melbourne, the hamster wheel stopped and it was actually a relief for many parents. We were quite happy not to have any structured activities in the afternoons and just for our kids to go to the park and play. And we realised they quite enjoyed it as well. But I think post-COVID, um, you know, most of us have got back on that hamster wheel quite quickly and many of us feel like chauffeurs and we're actually not that engaged with our children. We're just driving them to and from activities. Um, so, you know, it really, it, you know, there's a lot going on for parents and I think, you know, one of the downsides can be that it's absolutely exhausting if your children or multiple children are doing different activities in different places on different days. Yep. Yes, indeed. A couple of texts bear that out. Leaving, uh, learning should be relegated to the school day, not outside of school hours, as is the case in some Northern European countries, says one text. This time is for their own personal time. And another says, my son's very energetic and an only child. Little athletics helps his social, emotional and physical development without taking up a lot of time. His age group member support each other. Uh, I don't know, little ass is a four-hour commitment on a Saturday morning where we are and you need to volunteer as well, which is only fair, but it it, it does mean that it's a whole of family commitment. And I guess as as we're speaking, Dr Lexi Frydenberg, I'm reminded of one of our Facebook commenters saying, look, this is a pretty middle-class preoccupation that you're talking about here. Uh, Extracurricular activities benefit kids, we've been hearing. Do they benefit some kids more than others? Yeah, look, I think that's an, a really important point. So um, the benefits are different for different um, socioeconomic groups and children of disadvantage may benefit more in some situations because potentially at home there may not be an adult who's willing or able to engage with them or play with them or guide them. So having after-school activities or options may be really beneficial for some of our more disadvantaged children. And as you mentioned, your um, your listener who has an only child, giving them that exposure to other children may be very helpful. But I also have families who have five children and, you know, they've got a ready-made play group there and, you know, at home so they don't feel the need to go and do extracurricular activities. Um, So I really think you have to think about your family and and the situation, but I certainly think we need to think about those children with disadvantage and give them opportunity as well. Yeah, I was reading one um, study that found that uh, children in disadvantaged communities who took part in extracurricular activities almost closed the gap with children in high income communities because of the benefits that they were receiving. And that was a pretty compelling argument. So if if kids from disadvantaged backgrounds get the most benefit but have the least family capacity to get involved in activities outside school, I mean, text messages are coming in saying lots of people just can't afford any of these activities. Do we need to see more government support for those children? 
Yeah, look, I think that's an excellent point. And I think there has been um, a movement toward after school care where children can stay at school but choose a range of activities. And um, hopefully we can get more funding for those disadvantaged groups. But I think local community centres also are a great um, a place for children to go and interact and play and be creative. And I think, you know, if local governments are putting more emphasis on, on children and the ability for them to engage in a range of different activities, not just for babysitting per se, but actually to give them opportunity, that would be fantastic. Jane in Blackwoods has sent this beautiful text. My son was a very keen cricket player and I spent a lot of time driving boys around with big bags, doing the scorebook and managing the team. And Jane says, if I didn't do this, I wouldn't have the good rapport I have with him now. So you can see the the relationship strengthening capacity of extracurricular time. Let's talk, though, Lexi, about some of the downsides. Uh, we've we've t- touched on the, the capacity of the family financially to fit things in. What about just time pressures? Absolutely. And I think it's also about the capacity for the child as well as for the parent and family. So a child can get overwhelmed quite quickly. I remember in prep, my um, my son's vice principal said, do not organise any structured activity after school for the first term of prep. Expect your child to fall asleep in the car after school. And he was completely right. The cognitive load and the, um, you know, the effort it takes for children to learn, um, they've got social, often social efforts and, and they get quite socially exhausted. Um, so if your child gets overwhelmed and feel, you know you feel that there's overscheduling going on, it can affect a child's behaviour. They can get grumpy and irritable. It can affect their sleep and mental health and learning. So you really have to weigh it up for the child as well as for the parent and family. And you mentioned um, the expense, but also you know many of us as parents feel like our whole evening is spent driving our children around, and sometimes. The benefit of just sitting and playing a board game with one of our children may outweigh the benefit of driving them around to an extra activity. Yep, certainly a lot of Facebook commenters in that basket. Uh, We're speaking with Dr Lexi Frydenberg, who's an experienced paediatrician, over 20 years experience helping children and families, about the ideal balance between extracurricular activities, you know, things like sport or, you know, things that happen outside school, sport, dance, drama, I don't know, archery, fencing, all the bizarre things people are telling me they're doing, taekwondo, all the things that your children might say, hey, I really want to try X. And you think, okay, where can we fit that in? So, Lexi, you mentioned that, you know, kids might get um, grumpy or irritable or have trouble sleeping if they're over over uh, scheduled. Is How much should you push them if they're unwilling to go to a particular activity that they have chosen, but, you know, for a few weeks running, they just don't seem that excited? Yeah, look, I think that's a really good question and I think it will differ for each family. If it's an activity that you value and you see as a real priority for your child. So in Australia, I think swimming or learning water safety is really important for our children. So I think you you might push your child a bit further or, you know, try and desensitise them into that swimming pool, as I've had to many times, um, because it's a priority and it's important. But 
if you have a child that starts an activity and it is a battle to get them there, you really have to think, is this worth it for them and for me? And it might not be the right time or the right venue or the right group. So, you you know, you do have to weigh it up as a family, what's working and what's not working. I think with some parents, we often say, look, I've committed, we've paid for this term, you have to finish this term. And I think that's also difficult if, if for the first two or three weeks you have a child who just will not engage, but you've paid for the term, you really have to have that discussion, how far do I push them? Do I just gently keep encouraging them or do I put it on hold and come back to it another time that that it might be more suitable for my child? There's going to be cultural influences too, aren't there? I, I know one friend of mine, four sisters came from a first-generation migrant parents and everyone seemed to be doing a music and a sport or a dance or debating, you know, there was a lot of um, expectation expectation in the family that people would uh, provide opportunities for the kids to to learn and experience and, and have these privileges that the parents had not had. Is that something we need to take into account too, that perhaps we shouldn't judge our family comparing to other families because there'll be different drivers? Absolutely. And I think we've all experienced that at sort of mothers or fathers groups where people have talked about the number of activities or the number of things they've enrolled their children into. And you feel quite a lot of pressure. But every family is different and every family has priorities. So for one family, doing some religious or cultural activities after school might be really important. For another, you know, your child learning a language because the grandparents speak Spanish, for example, might be important. So I think really just thinking about your own family and tuning into your own kids is really important rather than comparing yourself to to those around you because you only know your family. You don't know what's happening behind closed doors for any other family. And I always ask parents to really just take stock of their family and think what's working for their child and for them. And just in our last minute together, Lexi, how important is that unstructured time, downtime, playtime, free time? Ah, oh, thanks for getting to that, Hilary. I think as a paediatrician, we always discuss how we underestimate the importance of play at all ages, particularly adults as well. But I think one of my favourite times is when my kids are bored and we've put away devices and that's when their creativity is unleashed. They, you know, have spontaneous dance performances. We do jigsaws, quite competitive in our family. So we often have bake-offs or cook-offs and children are allowed to do imaginary play. So I think do not underestimate the importance of play and the importance of your child being bored because that's often when the gold comes, that creativity is unleashed. So it's that fine balance as a parent says everything is. Yes, indeed. Well, and head to our Facebook page for some lovely examples of that, people relating stories about those golden afternoons with no adult supervision where they had the loveliest time. Lexi, thanks so much for your time today. It's been a really useful discussion, I think. Thanks, Hilary. Dr. Lexi Frydenberg, a very experienced paediatrician, joining us to talk about how we get the balance of the way children spend their time. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more.